0: Hey everyone, my name is Francisco, this is Latin Entertainment, and welcome to Conversamos. Today's episode is on U.S. assimilation and nuestra gente, from culture, economic status, and personal and communal pursuit, how does the Latin American diaspora navigate living in the United States, and does the pursuit of assimilation justify the means. We hope you enjoy this episode of Conversamos.
1: Yeah, yo, is it that wrong? I'm making a
0: song, I'm taking it back for the platform that I've formed. You transform. I run the reservoir, the predator. For, for our first question, in your list of identities, if so, how do you identify with Latinidad, Latin America, and the United States? I was
2: born in Brooklyn to a single Puerto Rican mother who was 16 years old. Um, all I knew was... Puerto Rico, all that was around me were Puerto Ricans. Um, and at the time I was being raised, it was frowned upon to speak Spanish. So we were groomed to speak English. So, you know, my heart and soul is, is Puerto Rico, is Puerto Rican. Um, and then a funny thing happened is I grew, I grew up. Um, I used to travel from Brooklyn to Puerto Rico, Brooklyn to Puerto Rico, Brooklyn to Puerto Rico, and that's it. And then in my mid twenties, I started to get exposure to different states to different Latin American countries, and then went to Italy and it changed my whole landscape. But that's a little bit about me and what I identify in. Born and bred Puerto Rican and I'm a US citizen.
3: So my list of identities, I don't know, I guess Latina slash Latinx has always, I don't know, it's very, it's an umbrella term. So I don't know how I feel about that specifically, but I guess I identify as Chicana um, or Chicano. Oh, so I guess yeah. growing up, no, it was really weird for me because as growing up, both my parents were born in Mexico, um, so I remember the word like Chicano and like Chicana was really looked down upon, like, because my parents came from Mexico and they were like hardworking and it's like a thing from like Mexican-born Mexicans to not like American-born individuals because like they don't work as hard and all this stuff. And I remember my mother always telling me that, but then in my mind I was like, "Ma, like that's me. Like I was born, <laughs> I was born here. Like I'm those like Chicanos or
4: Chicanas."
3: Um, so I was never comfortable with the term until I came to college, and I really started to explore more of that. And I guess found other people that were like that. I grew up in Sealy, Texas, which is a really small rural town. Um, it's very conservative. It's actually if you ever heard of like Trump Cafe or Trump Burger, they were like these, they made national news. They were like these restaurants that opened in support of Donald Trump. And that's like 10 miles away from my house where I grew up. So there's that. It's something that I've come to be comfortable with as like, since I entered college.
0: Thank you. And Daniel. Yeah.
1: So, um, I am a first generation American. Both my parents were born in Colombia, um, and immigrated here. Um, in the in the 90s in the early 90s um i've always identified myself as latino um growing up in queens i i was definitely surrounded by a lot of very diverse people especially latino people um having moved to north carolina after uh during my later years i began to identify myself in addition to being latino which i've never lost i, I began to feel the sentiment of what it's like to be an American. I, I very much feel like i identify myself as both latino colombian i guess but american as well um and yeah yeah i I feel like i've i feel like i've genuinely never struggled to understand where i identify i feel like i've always freely chosen chosen both being latino and also being an american
4: Um, hi everybody I'm Alba Isabel Amar, I am Afro-Indigenous Manaba, I'm Manabi, that is um, present-day Ecuador. Um, And so Latinidad is interesting. Latinidad is interesting because in my household, um, first and foremost, we are indigenous people that mixed with African. And so we had religion that was very, very different. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I didn't notice a difference about, like I didn't even understand Latinidad, of course, when I was very, very young. But when we were, when I was little, we moved to Florida in 1990. And in Florida, it was a very white community. And so I think that was the first time that I was away from people that looked like me. I was born in Brooklyn. Um, I have an older sister. My parents were born out in Ecuador. And um, so moving to Florida was something where I saw like a vast difference in culture. And then my parents decided to put us in Catholic school because all the schools were bad in the area. And so Catholicism was like the very first like really big, difference that I noticed about American culture. Um, cause I was raised understanding that we were American, right? Like that's just the newest word for the continent, which we call Abiyayala. Um, and, so, um, and so Christianity was something that was like a really big divide in our household. Like we knew that school had to be like that, but like at home that wasn't our practice or our culture or traditions. And so religion was one of the really big things that we noticed about like American culture. Um, and then, and then everything else, right? Like food language, um, everything came really really quickly after that.
0: How have you been introduced to U.S. assimilation? Well again I was born and and
2: raised in Brooklyn um, to a single mom uh, who was 16 years old and and we were poor Um, and my first assimilation which happened to be in the U.S. was I lived with a bunch of families every year, year and a half we rotated just for survival. But my first assimilation, I'll never forget it because I thought everybody was equal. And it was my aunt's husband, who was my uncle-in-law. And I was playing with his, two of his kids and he came home and he said, you guys, I told you you're not supposed to be playing with that. And he said, you don't live here and you're not my kid. You don't have the same rights that my kids have in my house. So he went and pulled out a bag of rice, poured it on the floor, and made me kneel on it for an hour. So I was assimilated at the age of eight to learn that even in a Puerto Rican home that's supposed to be family, you're still assimilating to the environment you're in at that particular moment in time. And that's, that's my first sample um, to assimilation,
0: if, if that works. Yeah, been and Vic, um, Vic on your first uh, you know, how you introduced to u s of assimilation
3: um, so I grew up in a really rural area and my parents like we were pretty poor. My parents are both technicians at like a factory, and um, one of my first I guess time were the times that I realized that I kind of had to fit in i don't know or like just to get an education. Um, I was probably like, oh, I think it was like first grade, but, you know, I don't know. There were so many things, but this is the thing that just came to mind. Um, There was like some kind of award ceremony at my school. Um, It was very, there weren't a lot of like, I guess, Latinx kids um, at all. And there was like this one ESL class and I would get put into this class every year, but I spoke perfect English. I, I learned both at the same time. And um, I remember, so there was an award ceremony and um, like for children, they have like perfect like attendance awards or whatever. And I was supposed to get one that day. My mom couldn't speak um, Spanish, speak English. So she came in and she sat in the cafeteria where they said it was gonna be what I had told her. And then later they put a sign up, no, sorry. And then they, um, no, they put a sign up and they moved it to the, one of the classrooms. And I remember, um, I was telling my teacher, I was like, well, my mom's not here. like, it's okay, we put a sign. And I was like, no, she can't read English. And there's like, no, yeah, she'll find it. She'll find it. And then, um, eventually my dad showed up. My dad can speak perfect English and then he showed up later, but I had already gone. Like they'd already called people up and I remember it was at the end and both my dad read the sign he got my mom and they both came. And then I remember, um, like I cried and I went up to him and I was like, I was like, I told them that y'all were in the, in the living room or not living in the cafeteria. And then, and then I was like, I told them. And then um, my teacher was like, well, she never, she never said anything. And then I remember, I remember hearing my teachers talk after it was like, shortly after this happened, um, I ended up going home with my parents early, but I remember them saying like, uh, she was like, "There's no way that um, that, I, that I thought that lady was her mom." Like my teachers were talking with themselves. There's like, I didn't think that lady was her mom. She was like, "I thought she was adopted." Like she's too smart to be able to have like a wet back as her mom. And I remember, like as a kid, like I didn't know what that meant, and I never heard that kind of language. But just the way it was said, <laughs> like I knew it was wrong. And like on top of that, every year I get put in ESL class. But my mom's name was Sanobia and my dad's name was Serafin. So I think it was just because my parents had such, such Mexican names. Like, I have not heard of more. Like, Zenobia and Like Every year I was, like, put into these classes and I think I realized that, like, because I looked the way I did, I was always going to get treated differently.
0: <laughs> thank, thank you very honestly, Vic. And Daniel?
1: Yeah, um, my first taste of us assimilation is probably when my family moved from queens to north carolina um i could definitely feel that there was a strong push from my parents to talk a certain way to dress a certain way especially to speak a certain way um in the in the south it's it's, it's just a huge cultural change you know from from queens back then to north carolina um, even though we were in a pretty big city we were in Charlotte. Um, it was, it was still a, a, cha- a cultural change. And, and for me, it, it wasn't a personal experience, but my, at least for me, it was seeing my parents go through the pressures of U.S. assimilation, whether it be, it, it was language, really. Like, like, both my parents did not grow up speaking English. Um, so it's, it's, it was a push to learn a new language very quickly. That was, my, that, that was really my first experience seeing what, what, you know, the effects of U.S. assimilation.
4: Thank you, Daniel and Alba. Mine was definitely school. Um, it was definitely school and my parents. Um, it, it was all, all the things that are required, right? So not, not, only, not only the language, because language is definitely a thing. Um, the minute I went, I think it was like in first grade when I went to the first, like it was a predominantly white school. So language was a big thing. Um, we spoke Spanish mostly at home, even though we spoke English as well. We also spoke French growing up. And so I kind of thought all three languages were the same, but then also like food was a really big thing. Like we never had cafeteria food or any, you know, white people food, um, which we, you know that's what we saw as U.S. culture. We saw it as like being stripped of like Indigenous and African um, background. Um, and so the food was another really really big thing. You know, like our main starches were plantain and yuca, um, and you know, a rice or something in school sandwiches or peanut butter and jelly, which I never was allowed to eat as a kid. And so food was another really big thing about culture that was drastically different. Um and then yeah, so I think school was a big thing. And then having to conform to ways of being and then only learning about, you know, white European knowledges. That was something my dad always pointed out, my mom. Um I was the only kid who had my hair. I was like the darkest kid in my school or in my class um so all all of it came like within i would say by like first grade i started to realize like u.s u.s equals whiteness and whiteness is not me at all (laughs) and
0: um with our next question um, we're going to share our positions on u.s assimilation so like where do you navigate in this whether it's pro anti or mixed of the two and so why are you in this position when and when and how do you apply your position most frequently
2: right well for myself it is not a trick question but it's an interesting one because again when i was young i got to live in many homes and all those homes they were all um people that were in poverty class so i got to see you know the same problems a mom and dad had either drinking um hanging out too late drinking beer smoking weed um, the same thing with the kids, the kids, the girls wanted to be with the boys, the boys wanted to hang out at three in the morning. I saw so many things that I learned at a young age what I didn't want to be, since I didn't want to have these problems. I did not want to have these problems. Now, I wanted to explore. So I had the fortune um, to go to Central Park and then see Fifth Avenue and go, wow, there's these nice restaurants and these people with nice clothes. I says, hey, I want to be able to go in there and eat what I need to go do to get there. And I was told, hey, you got to get an education. You got to work hard. You got to save your money. Um, And I've been assimilating ever since um, because I wanted to be different than what I was exposed to.
3: I am not sure how I feel about assimilation. I definitely think that there are good parts. I think I was raised very, very traditionally Maybe in a kind of negative way where women are supposed to be a little submissive. And that's the kind of like Mexican culture that I had. Not necessarily a lot of the positives. Being able to live as an individual in America is is nice. But then I also do think there needs to be more of a like a united collective because like, we are social animals and social creatures. So I don't know. I'm really on the fence about that. I really, I don't think that I would have been able to get out of, like, my cycle of poverty within my family if it wasn't for being in the U.S. Um, also, I think my education is slightly different because my parents never pushed me to really study, and I never really did it as a kid. I just, like, really liked learning. Like, I would always... Um, I would like do math problems like for fun. I would do my brother and sister's homework because I like I didn't have anything else to do like we were very poor. So like I didn't have anything to do. So I think, I don't know, I think I'm fortunate because I was able to be able to just do what I liked, which was just learning. It was something that I picked up on easily. And that ended up taking me to somewhere where I could, where I realized so many things about myself. If that makes sense.
1: Yep. Yeah, um, I I agree with Ben somewhat. I do think that it's a tricky question inherently. Um, I really do think it depends on your personal experience. So I, I can really can only speak for myself. Um, I am pretty pro-assimilation. I, I coming from a family, coming from a pretty poor family, growing up with both my parents being undocumented, being pushed to pursue education be, as being the only route for success in this country and kind of realizing that that was really the only way in my view and in my parents' view to succeed and, and become, become someone and, and, and bring in that, 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 that wealth, you know, that, that wealth that I want to provide for my future generations. I do think us being, I do think assimilationism is one of the more important factors in that process. I, I do think that for the Latino community in general to, I think to become successful, whatever success means to you, I think that there, ha- there has to be a, a big component of assimilating, um, especially when it's cultural and and especially language, I, I do think that that I do think that assimilation kind of breaks down those those socio barriers um, that that holds a lot of people in our community down.
4: I was also raised by two hardworking, very, very, very poor people. Um, However, both of my parents were very well versed on the dangers and the violence and the denigration that exists in the patriarchy and and capitalism. And so we grew up very vastly, vastly different um we are not patriarchal it wasn't my dad that was in charge there wasn't like i mean i'm not gonna say there wasn't machismo or toxicity um but we're very very anti-capitalist and so for that reason i do not believe that because a few people work hard and have to work in order to gain some wealth and others in the system um don't work at all and still are on top Uh, because I see those inequities not only with my own life experiences and with my parents' life experiences and all my ancestors' life experiences, but I'm also a PhD student, and all my research also tells us how capitalism not only ruins families (laughs) and society, but also Pachamama, you know, Mother Earth. And so totally not about assimilation at all, because assimilation equals whiteness. You know, the way people equate success as proximity to whiteness and the way people uh, assimilate the idea of achievement also as having to assimilate, um, I think that's what's killing us. I think that's what's leading to the capitalist pandemic. That's what's making COVID even worse, right? Who are the people dying from, from these huge problems? Um, and to so, know I'm absolutely not about assimilists. None of my students <laughs> are being taught that at all. I'm teaching, teaching all of my students the complete opposite, um, birth through college, all the ages that I teach.
0: Thank you, and I like how everyone brought up economics into this conversation. Um, and the, the reason why is because would, assimil- would assimilation be a conversation for those who come in affluence? Those who are in part of communities who are in affluent spaces. And, and so the general question is how, how does economics and classism play a role in U.S. assimilation with Latinas?
2: Well, a funny story from my youth, again, I was Puerto Rican and, and we used to have battles with Dominicans right and then in my head mexicans um were always a step below and and i preferenced that when i was younger right um and i was in new york and and that's all we knew and and what i've learned throughout life is that most people stay where they were born so so when economics comes to play again most people stay in their level right um they don't move beyond the level. So, you know, I've again I, I was born in poverty. I got to live in lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class where, where I happen to be now. And and what I've learned is that there's people full of it in all those classes. Right? So it isn't class specific, it's the individual inside. It's the corazon, it's your heart, it's your passion, it's your drive that really dictates what it is. It's not related to economics. Now, I'll take a step back. Economics plays a huge role because like, when you're poor, you don't, you're not able to go on these hiking trips. You're not able to go ice skating. You're not able to go skiing. So, economics does play a role in it, but it doesn't limit what you can become. Um, and I'm an example of that. And I can see I think everybody in this room is an example of that. Thank you,
0: Ben. And Vic?
4: Um...
3: I think that assimilation, or I guess, like, American assimilation, assimilation to, like, people of Caucasian descent, I think that's much more not important, but your likelihood to get out in terms of, like, wealth, and been able to, like, I don't know. I don't want to say escape as if where you are. I don't know. Like, the idea of American success, I think, is much more dependent on assimilation if you're poor. Um, so I grew up in a really, I grew up in the country, rural Texas, and we lived in a really, really rundown trailer. Like there was, um, I remember we had sheet metal on the roof and like legitimately like tires to keep the lamina down. And I remember like always being embarrassed of that. And it's something like If you don't fit in, you remember that regardless of if people don't know. So like not everybody knew how poor I was, but I felt like everything about me reflected that, right? And then I think that goes a step deeper where since I was so poor and I was also one of the only Mexican kids, it was, I don't know, it was like everything about me was reflective of a certain class. So that was something I I struggled with, and um, there are some lighter-skinned Mexican kids that I knew that just like whited out and left those parts of that let those parts of them go. But I don't think just physically I would have ever been able to do that had I tried. And I think my experience is very unique because my parents never pushed me for school, like education. My mother always tried to keep me out of the sun and inside and like put me on diet so I could like marry a white guy because that's the only way I was gonna get out. And my dad was very, just like do like do what you want, but like make sure you're your own person. Like, I don't know. It was very mixed.
0: I really appreciate it.
1: Daniel? Uh, to answer your question, um. I, you know, economic mobility in the Latino community is based on many factors. Um, U.S. assimilation, I believe, is a bigger piece, a bigger factor. Um, Just because I feel like, especially if you come from, you know, if you come from family, if you're in poverty or in the lower middle class, I do feel like, I do feel like assimilation opens doors that wouldn't necessarily be open if you had not for example if you had refused if you had gone out of your way to refuse to learn English, which is a language most spoken in America, I do feel like there are many doors that would not be open if you had if you had refused to even learn or at least try to learn the language um so i and again that that goes back that ties back to my 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 point I do feel like I do feel like assimilation is important, however, i do understand i do feel like you can both assimilate and also keep your values and your cultural beliefs intact i still very much am colombian i still speak spanish i am very much tied to my family in colombia um so i i so yes i do think u.s assimilation and 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 economic mobility in the latino community are very much correlated in terms of i feel like the more you try to assimilate the more i feel like the, the more opportunities you have to grow
0: Thank you, Daniel. And before Albert goes, I just want to share some quick facts. Um, in st- standard business study for Latino Entrepreneurs Initiative, the business count for Latino businesses in 1992 was 0.9 million. In 2012, looking up was exponentially is 3.3 million. Um, and then 75% of firms are, of La- La- Latina are located outside of majority Latina communities. 75% of firms who service 50% or more non Latina clients. And 50% of firms employ 50% or more non Latina workers. And so, what this kind of show, and as well as um, the current US UDP, like our uh, Latina spending. Is one point five trillion dollars, and within fifty-six million people, that's we spend. Our buying power is four point ten billion dollars a day, and so that's our buying power on a daily basis, right? Um, but what this shows is what um is it, all I, all I say is, is like um there's being a rise in businesses, there's being rise in um, how much we spend money. However, um the sales are still um that we that we um sell within each other. Is still at a, a bar of $150,000, and that's been from, again, 1992 to 2012. And so the, the, the only concept I wanna bring up is that I'll, as much as money that is being um, produced, is not being invested within our communities. And so, Alba, uh, I just want you to answer this question while we'll, we'll that in mind.
4: Thank you so much, Francisco, for bringing up some data. Yeah. So, I some of the that. data I was gonna throw at is the fact that um latinx communities um, that self-identified latinx people are graduating um undergrad um, bachelor's degrees 10 times more than they were just 10 years ago and phds are more than doubled you know in the grad programs but the thing that's really sad and this is why we don't believe in the system that why we don't believe in assimilation it hasn't changed our status women particularly the more degrees that we're getting the less that we're being paid and so that's one thing that's like a really really stark reality for me who has 3 degrees and I'm currently unemployed, uninsured, and homeless. And so so this capitalist system we see doesn't work. I did the whole the whole American dream. I did everything. I did every grade, I got all the you know, I did everything I needed to do the right way and I am currently unemployed. You know, so that's like a huge disservice that this system has created. And so the capitalist system is part of the imperialist project and so the hegemonic whiteness in this whole system um, the more that Latinx is buying into that we're starting to see that the people who are buying into are the people who are from European heritage. So that's one of the things that's popping out, right? So like, we know that the Latinx that are buying into the system, a lot of them do have ties to Christianity, to the whiteness, to their European ancestry, but the rest of us who are African or indigenous ancestry, afro and, and and my people are both. So we're, you know, we're from both sides. Um, we're not, we're resisting really, really hard. And, and you're seeing more and more of us. And so even though those numbers like our p- buying power, we really need to focus on that. So I'm glad you brought that up because we're not investing in each other. You know, the, 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 the white Latinx especially are investing in corporations, you know, everything that is keeping the hierarchy. Um, so we need more of the, you know, we need more of everyone else joining community and, and, and undoing that in order for us to succeed. Um, because like, it's true what you said, we have the buying power. We're just not, we're spending on other people, not ourselves
2: um you can't do things alone when you try to do things alone you're gonna end up alone okay so assimilation comes in many different it forms you have it. to go get where you want to get it ain't gonna come to you and you gotta have plan a you gotta have plan b you gotta have plan c and when you run out of the letters in the alphabet and then you hit A, B, C, D, because you got to keep it moving this country is a land of opportunity But you have to be aggressive. You cannot be passive. You have to be willing to learn. You have to be, and and that's what I've done, you know. And, 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 again, it's a trait that I got from a young age from my uncle who I learned. I can't even take the same toy that his kids are playing with in his house and made me kneel on rice. So I just got my lesson. I got lesson number one from him, and I got my lesson number two from Scarface and Al Pacino. Um... But that's my position in the situation. And, and, you know, I've gotten here through help. I've gotten here through keeping my word. I've gotten here by working five times harder than the next person. Right. Um, and that work ethic hasn't stopped. And, and I think a big deal, you know, comes down to the end of the day, the person inside of you.
1: I, I, I'd like to talk about North Carolina because that's where I grew up most of my life. Um, the people that I went to high school with majority white that stayed, they, they didn't do well. The majority of them just don't do well. They, they're they stuck in the same kind of hole that their parents and, and their grandparents were in and and, and still are. I, I can, I, I want to touch on Ben's point. Um, a, a lot of it is work. Like a lot of it is work ethic. And, and I I'm grateful that I had parents that pushed me to continue my education. You're not going to stop at high school. You're going to, push for it for for to go to college and, and 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 you know have a career and and not be able to to worry about you know putting food on the table or or living paycheck to paycheck like, like my parents did I I completely agree with that that mentality I I lived it personally again having both parents being undocumented in a country that legally didn't want them or didn't want them to succeed, we're able to succeed. We're able to buy a small piece, a small, a small plot of land in North Carolina. We're able to raise me and my sister and provide for themselves provide for us and provide for our family in Colombia. I think that's that's a beautiful example of, of the kind of opportunity that this country offers and and that doesn't mean that everybody's going to make it. And that, and we have to we have to support our own people in our community. And and I agree, and and going back to what you said Francisco is is the the dollars that we gain putting it back into the community, right? Whether whether it be in housing, whether it be in small business. I actively make sure that that some of the stuff that I can get personally, I make sure that that it's a Latino latina owned business or where i go get my hair cut some of the clothes that i buy um things like that so i so I, again i do i do think that i do think that the american dream is is there and very much alive but i but of course i i you know there, there's a lot more work to be done
3: the entire idea of the american dream is just like a lie and i don't think it's necessarily like hard work that gets you there i think that's just the facade i don't know like I don't know, like a lot of my like, family is poor and like my parents were very hardworking, but like at the end of the day, we're not, we don't have that much money, <laughs> you know? And it's like, I came to college on tons of scholarships. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have gotten it. And at the end of the day, that was luck, right? It was someone liking what I wrote. So I don't know. I don't necessarily agree. Like I do think that some people work their asses off and make it, but I think a lot more work their asses off and get nothing to show for it. And I think the idea of the American dream keeps us feeling like we're entitled to more than we are.
0: Thank you, and Alba?
4: I think it's interesting because gentrification has has created a, a bigger divide between the bougie, rich people, and the poor, and it's it's it is racial, and so I I don't support I don't support Latina at all businesses. I support Afro Indigenous specifically because I'm about reparations, and so that's something that we haven't really brought up with this whole assimilation question. Is how does it address social justice and equity issues? Um, and so that's one of the things that we need to consider, or I, I consider, I'm not going to say everyone has to, but I, I mean, everyone does have to, um, is reparations, right? And so that's one of the things that, again, capitalism cannot afford it because capitalism wants to consolidate power. It does not want to um, relinquish power in any way, right? We want to keep the rich, right? That's why we have trillionaires. Like, we can't even count that number. Most people don't even comprehend what a trillion means. Um, there is no explanation for that when there are people that are homeless and starving. Um, and, and and can't pay rent because of disease, right? And are unemployed because of disease, or you know many different things, um, and so it's it's. Um it's a unified collective effort, I think, to do the unsimilation work, to unlearn assimilation. And it's hard. It's really, really difficult because a lot of Latinas have bought into it. They they do see that it is they have a comfortable lifestyle, right? Even if you're not working, you know, the dream is to work eight hours a day, rest eight hours a day, day and do what you want eight hours a day, right? That's the dream. That is what we've been fighting for all of these years. And so if people but people like to work. So, you know, the U people in the US work more than any other country in the world. We already know that, right? We are overworked and underpaid, but we're happy. Or people uh, people profess to be happy in their American dream, right? People profess to be happy with their credit card debt and loan payments. Um, when we know countries all around the world, um, right, our neighbors in Cuba and Ecuador, right, college is free. They don't have debt. Um, my sister is an Ecuadorian in Germany who gets unemployment. She gets eighteen hundred. Euros a month. She wasn't born in Germany. She's not even a citizen. And we know that that reality can exist here. We've seen the future. We know that it works. We know that it can work. Um, but too many people are comfortable. They're comfortable enough, right? They're comfortable enough. They don't care that they're working 50 60 70 hours a week because eighty thousand is good enough, right? Sixty thousand lets you get let you have a house and a car, so it feels good enough, right? It feels just it feels just a little bit comfortable enough that we don't want to fight. And so this whole conversation with assimilation is just frustrating because it's like. We have, um, we still have a big divide, in, in which people who are buying into the assimilate right, and people who think that it should be a melting pot, and, and so the fight, um, the fight is really hard. So the fight is hard for us.
0: Thank you, Alba, and, and Ben. I uh, would you like to kind of respond to what you have heard thus far. Not just from an individual, because we're all individuals, is good, but this is things are happening as collectively within millions of Latinas across the U.S. So kind of speak to the collective.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. You know, it's, again, I know where I was born and, and I know the majority of the people where I was born, they personally chose to be there, right? And I say that because they didn't want to go with me to the library. They didn't want to go with me to the city to give out flyers. Okay. I mean, yeah, on the general side, is it's just the same position that I have. Is You can become what you want to be, but you have to be able to read the land, and the land is constantly changing. So I think the mistake that happens is most people think it's a certain way, and they're not open to that things are a different way. So, um, you know, I'm Latino, and, and the one thing I learned about Latinos and it's almost every nationality you only hear the bad things from bad people you don't hear the good things of what the good people are doing so i'm on a different spectrum you know i i i love this country um because there is opportunity you know and um and i pray i pray for everybody but everything is not for everybody you know and 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 you can be what you want to be in this country
0: Thank you, Ben. And to our next question, Dan, I'd like for you to, to start with answering it, is, and that is, how can either of your positions be beneficial for the Latina community?
1: Again, it's it just. I, but before I answer that, I, I do feel like we're defining success the wrong way. I think it's all relative. It's not absolute success. It's it's relative success. What 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 would the position of my parents? be in Colombia right now than here, right? Maybe they're not the best off here, but they're, they would be better off. So I think that that's the kind of bar that we should be setting, not necessarily comparing ourselves with people that have been here generations and have built that generational wealth. Um, but yeah, again, I think tying back to, to, to the topic of generational wealth, which I do feel like is an, the most important indication of economic mobility for the Latino community. U.S. assimilation, when it comes to language and cultural values, opens those doors, helps you understand the landscape, helps you understand the corporate environment, helps you understand the educational environment. The, the middle school and high school my parents went to in Colombia is not close to the same as it is here in the States. And, and again, we can, dis- we can disagree on, 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 on values like patriotism and, and love for country, but having, incorporating some of those similar values and similar work ethic that, 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 that America was built on I do think that that's key for the Latino community to to kind of step out of the rut and, and kind of build something for themselves, building that generational wealth.
0: Just a quick question, Daniel. Is there a difference between a Colombian work ethic from Colombia and, and your American work ethic?
1: Not, not necessarily. No, not, not necessarily. I, I I, I I feel like it's more just shifts of I think it's just more like cultural shifts. I I, I think that work at again, and I think to what Alba says, Americans work very very hard or are extremely overworked, but Japanese are much more much more overworked. Like we see stories about about Japanese you know people that work in Japan being worked over eighty ninety hours a week and having to sleep in the office. Um, so so work ethic can be found everywhere. I think it's the way that it's applied here in the states and the opportunities. That that work ethic can provide, I think, are much more different than, than than anywhere else.
0: Thank you, and Alba, you had a question or comment.
4: It was it was a quick comment, just because I don't think that we all are saying the same words the same way. Or they don't mean the same thing. For example, I did not say work ethic; I meant work hard work. Hard work is not having work ethic. Hard work means that you're working very many hours for very little wages, sometimes even unlivable wages. There are more than half of people in this nation are currently unemployed, for example, and those are people that worked 40, 50, up to 75-hour weeks prior to COVID, for example. And so those people... I don't think that those 75 hours proves work ethic. That proves that we have a system which is not a system that was built on work ethic. America, the U.S. of A, was built on slave labor on stolen land. So we can't say that it was built on work ethic or people that worked hard because everyone remembers that before (laughs) colonization, this isn't what the land looked like. Right? And, 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 this, and that all happened because of free labor. Um, and so that's just a really big disagreement about what the ideas of success or you know, the ideas of what, whatever work ethic means. I don't define it at all the way y'all were saying. That's all.
2: I, I just want to say something real quick. I, you know, I was born without my left eye. And I had a glass eye for a few years. And then I wore a patch for the rest of the years, and of course, I got my one-eyed Willie, or you're a little punk, or you're the guy from the Goonies. And now, you know, I've grown, you know, just to wear glasses and just cover cover my eyes. So I've been assimilating since day one. And and again, <clears throat> I was casted out from my f- family and friends because of the way I looked and the way I was born. And then um, I was outcasted by my dominican friends because i didn't speak spanish then i was outcast i mean it was just the long list of outcasting and it wasn't until the turning point when I says hey i don't want to fit into them i want to fit into me and that's when my life changed right and i stopped worrying about other people and i was worried what i want and what i need to do to get there so um you know I, I'll, I'll just say this i touched many subjects that are probably beyond this meeting um but, you know, it's very sensitive, and, and we all interpret things differently. And, and
0: so, Ben, just to push you a little bit, um, you as an individual, right, improved yourself to be in a better position where majority of where you were raised in in the community that was there, correct? Just yes. Yes, no. yes. The community that you grew up in is still impoverished, correct, yes or no? Yes does this one individual justifies um, the this promise of American dream where one individual can succeed while the collective and majority still hasn't does that, that one individual justify that that collective well it goes back
2: to what Daniel said is how do you define success right the people who
0: are still in the hood think they're successful well, we're we'll actually, all right, so for this case, we're going to define um, success for making um, 80K. Can we or-
4: define it as thriving? As okay. like thriving?
0: Thriving. We can define it as thriving. I think because we think about economics, like uh, having a, a 80K or higher paycheck. Uh, but uh, thriving, that works better. But that does that justify yeah. well,
2: it? Well, I'll let someone else answer
0: Again,
1: success is very, it's very, I'm sorry, success is very subjective. Um, somebody's definition of success could be, I bought, I, I, I have a mortgage on a, on a house. And yeah, I have a lot of loans, but I'm still able to pay it off. And, you know, I can put gas in my car and not really worry about having to send my kids to college.
0: So then just for clarity purposes, and I apologize, and I feel like this is on, on my behalf. It's not just success; it's just economic um, comfort, and economic comfort comes with, in this capitalist society, comes with a lot of money, and we're going to say that a lot of money is eighty k or higher, or sixty k. Okay, you find that seventy k, you know, enough to in, in that case. So, having one individual who has that coming from a low-poverty economy, right, to community, is that one individual justifies? this American dream of, of a community of a large majority of people who still don't have, um, that economic status, Daniel, Van alpha.
1: Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, a lot. It's not, it's not just one. And I understand that one is, is a relative number, but it's, it's many more. It's many more. It's many more that I feel like I've cracked the code. Um, and yeah, I I a hundred percent agree. It justifies, it, it completely justifies. And, and, and it was, it was people, it was my generation before me, individuals in the Latino community before my, again, before my generation that taught me the important values that I needed to know to be successful in your terms, Francisco. So yeah, it very much justifies that one person to teach the rest of us. This is how you, this is how you break the code. This is how you kind of move up. This is how you, how you push away and again, it's, 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 it's valuing what you had before. I very much value where I come from, but I very much look, I don't look in the past. I very much look forward to see what I can accomplish. And and I never forget how I got there. It was through hard work, right? It was through breaking, cracking that code. And so, yeah, I, I absolutely, it does justify that one person.
0: Okay. Thank you for perspective, Daniel and Vic. Okay.
3: Okay. Um I, I don't know. I completely. I do not think that justifies it at all. I don't know. Like you brought up the money threshold, and like I grew up very, very poor. But I just graduated college. I didn't have a problem getting a job. Now I'm like I'm an engineer, and I make more money than both. Like I think double of what they made. And I don't think I don't know that doesn't justify anything because growing up they work their asses off, and I know a lot of people in low income communities do. I just, I don't know, like I can't understand how the success of one can justify the impoverishment of a community. That just seems to me like buying into whiteness and like becoming the oppressor, right? Like once you receive that status, I don't know. It just, that doesn't make sense
4: to me.
0: Thank you, Abba, you've been waiting.
4: I, um I'm just going to throw a little bit more data at you. Um, Right now, uh, Latinx youth, one in 10 commit suicide. And for girls, it's about one in seven. And so those numbers right there, thinking about our children killing themselves right now, I think that tells us that we're not thriving. I I really appreciate everyone's individual stories right now, and it sounds really beautiful, and I'm very happy. I know my family feels like a success story because my parents were both shit poor, you know and we're you know african digit all this and you know and i'm a phd student so yes that feels fantastic but we're not thriving as a community and i will argue with all the data in the world i've been researching this for the past 10 years that's what my dissertation topic is about is how do we thrive because if we said define success by money taking into account also that the u.s has the most debt of anywhere in the world by like 10 I don't even know how much more than we debt we have. But I know we have more debt than anyone else in the world. Um, It's interesting to think about the idea of success just being tied to money because it's everything else. We're dying at faster rates right now at COVID. The Latinx community is being killed more than anyone else. We're incarcerated in this system more than any other. Us and Black people are incarcerated and Afro-Latinx, of course, and Afro-Indigenous Latinx. We're incarcerated more than we exist. You know, we're only like 13% of population, but like 30-something percent of incarceration. Um, so I don't think we're thriving at all. I think we're, it's, it's really sad because like I said, the more degrees a woman or non-binary Latinx person gets, the less money they earn statistically. Because the, the world, the US particularly, doesn't value that. So that's crazy. So we're buying into a system that makes us work really, really hard for the American dream but then because we look the way we do or because we're, you know, black or brown, we're not afforded. We have to, like you said, I think it was Ben, you were like, oh, I worked 15 times hard. That's amazing. Our president does not work 15 times harder than anyone, you know. And, you know, in Ecuador, we had a PhD, um, uh, an economist that was a president that, was, that it did amazing things. The health, we had infant mortality almost dropped. In Cuba, there is like zero people dying. And they're endangered right now because people don't want to have babies and people aren't dying. So like the population is super old right now. So Cuba needs immigrants because they live too long. They're like, we need to stop with the people living too long, right? They're doing incredible things. And so it's interesting just thinking about like what thriving means because I don't think it means success or right? it's not the same way that some of y'all are explaining it, at least not the way I think.
0: Thank you. And Ben? About it.
2: Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, I look at success the way I look at beauty. Um, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder, right? It is what you want it to be. It is what you think it is. Um, You know, something that I learned when I was in college, I knew um, I was poor and I knew I didn't have a job waiting for me. And I knew I just couldn't rely on my grades. I knew I needed to have a job um, while I was in school Um, to get experience because when I'm competing against someone of a different nationality, they can say, okay, you went to school and these are your grades. What else did you do, right? So I knew I had to get real life experience. And I learned at a young age that degrees help, but it's more um, of who you know and how you're able to navigate in those worlds. Um, You know, so it's, it's, it's a game Um, And it's not a given. For example, if you get a degree, like statistics show the majority of people that that study in a degree don't even get a job in their field. Right? I knew that. I learned that when I was in junior high school. So I was already alerted to those changes. And and, and that's still the case today. So things really haven't changed too much um, from the beginning of time. But I measure success by did I improve from my parents and did my parents improve from their parents? And I can say yes. And I have three girls and I'm trying to put them in a position that they can go to a step further from me. And and they're going to define what that step further means. And it's whatever they want it to be. If they achieve their goal, then I've achieved their success, helped them achieve their success because they became what they wanted to
0: be. With that said, that is all the time that we have. Thank you everyone for joining us. Make sure you like the video, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on all our social media outlets and podcast platforms at latin underscore entertainment, and our website where we center the Latin American diaspora on Aveyala at www.latinentertainment.org. Tune in next week for another episode of Conversamos.
1: Yeah, yo, is it that wrong?
2: I'm making a song, I'm taking it back for the platform that I formed. This is helping me transform. I run the reservoir, the predator.